0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Well, it's great to be here with you at New Life Christian Church. Thank you, Brett, for the invitation. Uh, If you're watching online, I'm not the regular guy that's up here. I'm just a guest today. And I'm excited to be here because uh, this church is 30 years old. Tells you how old Brett is, right? So a 30-year-old church that has had more influence than you may even know in the world of church planting. It was the late 90s, early 2000s that I felt this call from God to get involved in church planting, to help plant a church, to make it happen. And I, was in, I was doing something else at the time and just felt God drawing me to that. And this church was one of the examples before I ever knew Brett or knew anything about this church. This was one of the examples of what it looked like to start something new with the gospel of Christ where there's nothing. And so it's really exciting for me to be here because I've watched this church early on from afar. Uh, when websites were rough, uh, when it was dial-up and all that stuff, uh, I remember thinking, wow, how do you do that? And I was able to learn a lot of that through uh, what this church has done through the years. So thank you. Thank you for having me here uh, today. So when I was a little boy, I had this uncle that, is, that was from California. And so he was cool. I lived in West Virginia. He lived in California. that sounded way cooler. And he would come to our house, and I just thought he was a cool guy. And one day we were passing Frisbee in my grandparents' front yard, and I was just impressed with his skills of passing the Frisbee. And I was probably 10 years old, and I, I said, "Where did you learn to do that?" And he's like, "Well son, I invented the Frisbee." And so I went many years of my life believing that my uncle invented the Frisbee. I was a teenager. I was in the back seat of my mom's car with one of my friends, and somehow a Frisbee came up, and I was like, well, my uncle invented the Frisbee. And I had told dozens of friends this. And my mom was like, he didn't invent the Frisbee. He was just messing with you. He, just, he was like that. And I was like, you mean I've believed all these years that my uncle invented the Frisbee, and he didn't. And she said, yeah, you did. You know, it's really easy for us to believe stuff with all of our hearts, and it ended up not being true. Here's another, maybe a, this would be a personal example for you, especially those of us who have lived a few years. I remember, and you might remember, there have been times that, maybe, maybe a time you felt like you were in love. Anybody remember that? Like, you felt like, this is it, I'm in love, this is awesome, I love this person, uh, and then you found out that it was just something you ate the night before, it was like, wasn't love at all. But you believed it was. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but we've all done that. So we all have this tendency to be emotional about something and believe things that aren't true. And that's what I'm talking about today. In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus goes through what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's called that because he was sitting on a hill and speaking up to people who are sitting on a hill when he gave it. But in those three chapters in the New Testament, we learn uh, specifically what Jesus believed about a lot of different things. And he gets towards the end of all this strong teaching that he's given on uh, what he believes. If you ever want to know what does Jesus believe about, uh, just go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But he gets to the end and he says these words that are, are a warning to all who would come after him and say they wanted to follow his teaching. It begins in chapter 15 when it says this. He says, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 15, when it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, Jesus starts off these verses with two words. Uh, The two words are watch out. And, And if you look at this in the original language, in the original context, here's what Jesus meant by those two words, watch out. That's what he meant. He meant you need to be careful, you need to watch out for false prophets. Because he had just told them what was true. He had just shared with them the core teachings of his ministry And the whole Sermon on the Mount is about this is what's true. You've thought this, but it's really this. And then he says, you better watch out because there are some false prophets or false teachers. It means the same thing. False teachers that have gone out and they're teaching what's not true. Now, false teachers all have the same characteristic. They lead people away from God and toward hell. That's what Jesus says. Every every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so the stakes are high for us to be aware and to watch out for false teaching. And he's just taught them what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of God to the rule and reign of God in our hearts. And he's saying this is what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. And so he's told them what it's like to pray. He's talked to them about what real generosity looks like. Uh, He's talked to them what judgment looks like. Uh, He's talked to them about uh, about lust. He's talked to them about biblical marriage. And then he comes towards the end and he said, not everybody's going to teach these things, so you need to watch out and be careful. Some people will intentionally teach and oppose what I've been teaching. That's what Jesus is saying. And about a dozen times, if you read the rest of the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament specifically tell first century followers of Jesus that there are false teachers out there teaching a gospel that's not true, distorting the true gospel to mean something else. And so part of discipleship in the first century was you need to learn about false teaching so you don't fall prey to it. So it was a big deal. And if false teachers existed then, and we know they did, Here's the question to ask yourself today. Ask yourself, would I recognize false teaching if I saw it? If if Brett were to get up one week and teach something completely false theologically, would you recognize it and be able to say that's not true? If somebody wrote something, if you're scrolling through social media and you read a post that sounds true but isn't true, would you be able to discern if it's right or not? And are we able as followers of Jesus to recognize the subtle ways that lies can pull us to believe and support false teaching? Here's the fact I want to share with you today. Biblical truths will expose worldly lies. That's how you find out, well, what's true and what's not. You learn the biblical truth. At our church, we have a teaching team. I'm the primary teacher, but we have uh, a few other guys who teach. And we have uh, three teaching values, three principles that have to be in every message. So they're teaching today, and and they've already run their message through these three values. The first one is, every message that we teach is, number one, uh, it's going to confront cultural lies. Number two... It's going to reveal the gospel of Christ because that's where grace and salvation and mercy come into play. And number three, it's gonna challenge people to take personal responsibility for their faith. In other words, don't just let this, whatever you're watching or whatever you're observing here in the room, don't let this be your only expression of faith. Do something with your faith outside of this hour that we gather on the weekend. So if we look at what Jesus said, a little more in depth when he said, watch out for false prophets. So when you read what Jesus said, it's good to think, what were the people sitting there that day experiencing and what would they have thought when he said that? Because when I talk about false teaching in a room this size, there's all kinds of things you're thinking about. What were they dealing with and what were they about to deal with? So here are some, I'm just going to hit the highlights of some of the heresies that quickly infiltrated the first century church, some of that they were dealing with right then. But when Jesus said, watch out for false prophets, here's some of the things they would have been teaching. One big thing that they would have all recognized is the false teaching of legalism. And legalism is simply this. It's just saying that you have to do things and work in order to earn God's love, earn his salvation, and to keep that. It's, it's dependent upon you working hard and earning it. And we know that Jesus said that, that faith and belief in him, that's required. Obedient faith, that's, of course, required for us to have salvation. And that's what he taught them. But Jewish leaders were coming along and saying, no, you need more than just Jesus. It's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus all of our rituals, it's Jesus plus all of our rules and all of our commandments and all of our festivals. It was such a serious false teaching in the first century that an entire New Testament book called Galatians is dedicated to helping people understand and call out and stay away from the false teaching of legalism. The apostle Paul was so serious about it. Paul, When Paul wrote in the New Testament, he was more concerned about protecting the followers of Christ than he was about people's feelings. So Paul said things like they are dogs, they are evil workers, and they are false teachers. Another false teaching that quickly infiltrated the first century church was the false teaching of Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, Uh, which means knowledge, and it covers a a wide range of beliefs that I don't have time to go into, but the core teaching of Gnosticism is this, that there was a special knowledge that one could gain that wasn't available to everybody else, and that special knowledge made you superior to everybody else around you. Now, a modern way that we see that played out, it's not called Gnosticism, but a modern way that people who are progressives that uh, claim to be followers of Jesus would say this is, Uh, find your truth, know your truth. That's how that would sound today. So when we hear those phrases today, to find your truth or know your truth that's deep inside of you, that has its roots in Gnosticism because what it says is there's this knowledge or feeling you can have inside of you that's superior to anything outside of you and you need to go with that. Another false teaching, asceticism. And that's an offshoot of Gnosticism uh, and what it said was that uh, and it said that sin is inherent so uh, any anything with the body is evil anything physical is evil and so the body has to be punished in some way and that is what started and what how people practice the extreme self-denial self-abuse and 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 even in an attempt to reach a higher level of godliness so they would punish themselves uh, and that's not just a, a thing that Accompanied Judaism, Christianity, it was also in Hinduism and Buddhism as well. Anatomianism was another one they would have been familiar with, and it's, it's, an, it's another extreme, but proponents of this movement ab, advocated for uh, that the body, physical body, and the soul were so separate that you could maintain a healthy soul. And do anything you wanted with your body since it was already evil and flesh is evil and false teachers were instructing people that they could participate in all kinds of sinful pleasures and still be spotless before God. Docetism was another one they would have been familiar with and that came out of Gnosticism uh, and it reasoned that God could have nothing to do with evil matters so they didn't believe that Jesus actually came in the flesh. They denied the incarnation of Christ. Now there's a lot more than that that they would have known about and they would have been exposed to then or in the future in the first century church. But that's just a a highlight of some of the things when Jesus says, watch out, there's false teachers among you. That's some of the things the false teachers would have been teaching. And so what he says is, I want you to be able to spot them. So look for their fruit. And compare the fruits of Jesus' teaching to the fruits of these false teachers' teaching. And so what's the fruit of Jesus' teaching? Well, he just told us. It's making him Lord and leader of your life, of their lives. He's in charge. And he talks about the kingdom of God. That's the rule and reign of God in the hearts of people. When sins are forgiven, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, and the word of God is preached, and it changes people. Those are fruits of Jesus' teaching, which we can read about, especially in the first four books of the New Testament. But then he gave them some fruits of false teaching. Like this is what will accompany false teaching so they would be able to discern. Here's the fruit of true teaching. So the fruit of false teaching, if, if, if the false teaching was legalism, if you've ever been caught in a religious system that makes you feel like you never measure up no matter what, and makes you feel like you have this yo-yo faith that uh, that you're with God, you're away from God. You're with God, you're away from God. And if you don't die with a prayer of repentance on your lips, then you're going to, you know, it's a smoking section for all eternity. I mean, that is legalism. And if you've ever been in a system like that, where you were made to feel like you could never measure up, you know how difficult that is to live in a vibrant, healthy relationship with Christ when you feel like you're never Good enough to be accepted by God. Asceticism, in that day, what's the fruit of asceticism? For them, it was people harming and mutilating their bodies. See, there's no new false teaching, it just changes names. Antinomianism was giving into feelings and desires and doing whatever they wanted with their body. That was the fruit of antinomianism. It's still alive and well today. It's just called something different. And doceticism is simply the refusal to believe that Jesus came in a fleshly body of a man. Those are the fruits of false teaching, and they could have seen that. And so Jesus is saying, watch out, pay attention. And he's teaching them how they should discern. Now, what about today? Does this apply to today at us, to, to us at all? Should we call out false teaching and false teachers today? Yes, we should. Why should we? Why should we do that? Because we love people. We want people to know the truth. So we, we, would, we should call out when something's false or a person when they're teaching something that's false. That might sound like, well, that's so unloving. It's not a, it, that's actually the loving thing to do. Now, if you use the culture's definition of love... Of course, that's unloving because the culture's definition of love is acceptance. God's definition of love is truth. Love is not love. God is love. And so the definition of love is I love someone and I see them being deceived or or deceiving, I'm going to say something. Now, love, we learn from other teaching in the New Testament, it's patient. So it may not go at the speed we want it to go at, but it's something we all need to be willing to do at the appropriate time. Here's why that's needed. Arizona Christian University put out this study earlier this year that George Barna led that found out that 60% of Americans claim to be Christian, 60%. When I first read that, I thought, that's a really high number. When you dig a little deeper and you start to ask people about a biblical worldview, that number goes from 60% to 6%. So 6, 6% of the 60% of people who claim to be Christian actually have a biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview means this is our guide, that the words in here uh, are have authority in our lives. So if my feelings and these words don't match up, the word of God is what rules my life, not how I feel. That's a biblical worldview is believing that With authority, we can use God's word to speak into any culture, any place, and any time with authority. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview. So when you ask people that question, it falls to 6% of the 60% of the people who say they're Christian actually have a biblical worldview. So are there false teachers today? Yes. At least 6% of you probably say that. Now, here's what a false teacher is not, because sometimes when we talk about false teachers, we just think about doctrines we might disagree with. A false teacher is not somebody that you have a doctrinal disagreement with, because honest people can come to different conclusions about the authoritative word of God and, and see it differently, and still, one of them doesn't have to be a false teacher to have two different conclusions. So here's some topics, like you might think, well, what do you mean by that? If, if we went around this room and asked, what do you believe about the end of time? It would go from, I have no idea to uh, you could clearly articulate, articulate which one of the four or five major views that you have honest people who see God's word as authoritative come to different conclusions on what the end of time is going to look like and how it's all going to be wound down. My advice is we know who wins in the end, just get on the winning team. And however that last play is done, uh, you're going to be okay. So that's something that honest Christians disagree on. Uh, even, even baptism, something that we hold near and dear as uh, the New Testament teaches as a part of the process of coming to know Jesus, you can even have disagreement there and still hold up the word of God as authoritative. It doesn't mean that person is a false teacher. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives, uh, church leadership and structure, uh, structure, eternal security, predestination versus uh, anybody Uh, can come to Christ. Like those are topics that may be divisive and people have disagreements on, but people with a biblical worldview could come to different conclusions. So disagreement does not, uh, disagreement on doctrine does not necessarily mean false teaching. Here's what a false teacher is. A false teacher denies the power of the gospel. A false teacher calls something good that God calls sin. A false teacher denies the authority of scripture. A false teacher disputes the teachings of Jesus, which are like, I, like when Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me. A false teacher would say, oh, that's not what he means. He doesn't mean deny yourself. He does, He means embrace yourself and follow him. No, he means deny myself. There are times when I have to tell myself no because I'm a follower of Jesus. A false teacher would dispute that. At their core, false teachers are deceitful. And here's, some fa- here's a fact about false teachers. False teachers lead people away from God and toward hell. That's what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 7. He brought it up again in Matthew 24 when he said, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And who's the elect? It's the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus. And he's saying, even though you've walked with me and you've watched me perform miracles and you've heard the teaching directly from my mouth, you are at risk of being deceived. So if if Jesus' original 12 were at risk of being deceived, it means that all of us are vulnerable to deception. We need to stay alert. We need to be aware. Now, some teachers and some followers tend to find each other, and then you have false teachers and false followers all in the same room looking for each other. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul speaks to this when he says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. So there's two people at blame here. One is the false teacher but it's also the people who don't want truth and they want to hear something different so they will find someone teaching what they want to do and believe. Any belief you could come up with right now around morality, you could find somebody with a microphone and a cross and a band and a stage and a crowd of people of some number to speak to because people tend to move towards that which makes them feel better about themselves. And if they're walking down a pathway that Jesus had already described what the wide road and the narrow road was like right before he said, watch out for false teachers. And if they're on a wide road of I'm going to live however I want, however I feel, their ears will perk up when they hear somebody say what they want to hear that affirms what they want to do. And that's what Paul is talking about. People will follow false teachers because they like what they're teaching. And I think we're at that time that Paul said, a day will come when people just won't put up with sound teaching. I think we're there. I think that's Satan's plan. And it started way back. His plan is not new. All those false teachings I talked about, you could find every one of them today called something different. You could find people following them and teaching them, even though they're called something different. If you were a football coach right now and you're going to play your biggest rival and the night before somebody walks in and says, I got a gift for you and it's the playbook of the opposing team. You would take it and you would read it and you would figure out that's their game plan. Here's what they, when they're doing this, I know we need to do that. And you would be thinking we can't lose because we've got the opposing team's plan and playbook. Well, Satan is the great opposition. We have his playbook. We know how he plays. And so when we learn how he plays and what his playbook looks like, it's it's harder for us to get vulnerable to false teachings that are out there and to be pulled away from the truth of Christ. And it started all the way back. If you know the story in Genesis, in Genesis chapter three, he shows up on the scene as a serpent and it says this, You eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So that is Satan's playbook right there. We learned what the father of lies wants to do to all of us. Here's what he did to Eve. First thing he did, he got her to question God. First question he asked, did God really say that? Is that really what he said? Are you sure that's what he said? Now, what does that look like today? Today, it's it's a similar question. Today, it's described as revisionist theology. You've all heard of re, uh, revisionist history, but revisionist theology takes whatever belief and whatever practice somebody wants to have and, and feel like God's okay with it, they will go back into the original scriptures And they will revise what the church has believed for 2,000 years to match what they want. In other words, did God really say that? Is that really what his word says? And they'll change it just so it matches what they want. So he got Eve to question God's words. Then he contradicts God. Eve says, uh, we'll die if we eat that. You will not die. No, God said we would. You will not. It's like when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Well, don't, that's not what Jesus means by that. You will not have to deny yourself. You can come to Christ and not have to deny anything about yourself. And then he says, you will know more. You'll have more knowledge. See, it might've been called Gnosticism around the first century, but it happened in the garden for the first time. You'll have knowledge inside that God doesn't want you to have. You'll have this deep knowledge that Nobody else has, if you just do this. And then he let her see how good it was. Oh, that fruit was pleasing to the eye. He didn't offer her a rotten piece of fruit that had gnats flying around it. Like if he would have offered her that, she would have said, ooh, that's gross, I don't want it. But what's he offer her? Something that looks good and pleasing to the eye and would give her this inner knowledge that she suddenly desired. You know, to me, a piece of cake always looks better than a bowl of vegetables. How about anybody else? Always like if I could choose and have no consequences, I would always choose the cake because it tastes better. I enjoy it more, but that's not what's best for me. It'll never be as healthy to eat cake all the time over vegetables. That which deceives tends to look good and feel good. Now here's what false teaching would look like today. Uh, It sounds reasonable. It's appealing to our sinful nature Uh, It's based on self instead of scripture. It's based on self instead of scripture. And self-perception is never an accurate view of who you really are. It's always a perversion of God's word, which means that false teaching is always gonna have a lower view of scripture and it's always authored by Satan. Now, it's, it's easy to be deceived because it looks and sounds good. And you might think, well, I'm, I'm pretty strong. I, I couldn't be deceived. Let me read some public quotes from people who teach things that aren't true, which makes them false teachers. There's a lady named Glennon Doyle who wrote a book called Untamed, and here's what she says. I will not stay, not ever again, in a room or conversation or relationship or institution that requires me to abandon myself. And I don't know what she's been through and the hurt and the pain and what life's taken her through, but to claim to, to be a Christian, at least when that was written, and Jesus saying, deny yourself, and then say, well, I'll never stay in a relationship that requires me to abandon myself. But when you read that on first glance, you might think, that's right. That sounds really good, but it has every one of the false characteristics of false teaching I just mentioned. In speaking about the episode I read about from, from the Garden of Eden about Eve and the serpent and Adam, here's what she says to that. Maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting, eat the apple, let it burn. There's another guy named Richard Rohr who, who flies under the banner of Christianity. He's really popular with progressives. He says this about the Bible. The Jewish scriptures, which are full of anecdotes of destiny, failure, sin, grace, offer almost no self-evident philosophical or theological conclusions that are always true. We even have four often conflicting versions of the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's no one clear theology of God, Jesus, or history presented, despite our attempt to pretend there is. The most telling sign of a false teacher, and these are public statements. I don't know these people. They may be wonderful people to go hang out with. They may be nice and kind, but what they're teaching is false. What I just read from him shows that he has a low view of Scripture. And he certainly has that because he goes on to say that Jesus didn't need to die on the cross, but it's actually our false self that needs to die. And you might think, well, that is so obviously wrong. If I read that, I could never be deceived by it. And I won't ask for a show of hands. If you're watching online, maybe you tell the person that's there with you. Uh, if, have you, if you heard of the Enneagram? Yes, we've probably all heard of the Enneagram. Uh, Many of us have probably taken it like I have in years past. But I heard somebody talk about it in not a positive way. And so I did a little research to find out, okay, what's the source of this Enneagram? First, I found out that Richard Rohr made it very popular in churches. Because some pastors are very, uh, they're very enamored with Richard Rohr and his teachings. And so uh, he was the one that kind of brought this to the surface and as you start to explore the origins of the Enneagram, we find out that the originator of the types. so you take a test and, and there's types. It's not, a, it's not an academic, uh, academically tested and proven tool, but the person that started it, the types, and you get a number and then you get what's called a wing number. The person came up with the type, said that he got it, and you can go watch this video on YouTube yourself, He got it through automatic writing. And then I thought, well, what's automatic writing? Automatic writing is writing that's produced involuntarily under the direction of another source. It's called subconscious agency. So we know good and evil. We know God, Satan, angels, demons, all that the good side, the dark side. And if somebody says, I wrote this through automatic writing, subconscious agency, I was just kind of in a trance and I was writing these words down. Where do you think that came from? I don't think the Holy Spirit was the one that wrote those things down because divine inspired writings ended a long time ago. One secular professor said, the Enneagram is no different than messing with a Ouija board. And he was going on to say, it's it's not even an academic tool and to stay away from it. Parents, think about it. If your kids came home and said, hey, I, I got this Ouija board for my friend. We're going to go in the back bedroom and play with it. You probably say, uh, no, you're not. Saying subconscious agency or automatic writing is a way of saying demonic. And I, I, I listened to this one teacher, and she said, when you read your number, it's like you're reading what a demon thinks you are. Now, i use that as an example because it appears innocent, something that we've all probably done, I did, and it feels like a tool. So is it really that bad? It is. Has it helped people? Maybe. There are a lot of philosophies in our world that have actually helped people that are still false. And so it can't be, well, it helped people, so that must be okay. Now, this is not to make you feel guilty. It's just to bring some clarity and recognize false teaching and to show how crafty Satan can be. All false teaching has just enough truth to make it appealing. Like I said, Eve wouldn't have eaten rotten fruit. I could give you more examples. There's a lot of them out there today. So what do we do with this? So there's false teaching out there. And in our age of 24-7 connectedness, it is impossible to hunt down everything that's false. I could speak for hours about false teaching that's infiltrated the church and Christians, and we still wouldn't even begin to get to all of it. So how do we make sure that we're not subtly being pulled away into false teaching like Jesus talked about? We have a couple of options. We can become a heresy hunter. Now, here's the thing about heresy hunters they're kind of grouchy, if you know any. Like, if somebody's just looking around every corner for a false teaching, uh, those people just, they tend to be grouchy. And so I don't want to be that. I've talked to some of those grouchy people. Here's a foolproof way to not be deceived. And you don't have to go out and look for all these false teachings, learn the truth truth always exposes lies. Light always chases away darkness. And there's never been a more important time for followers of Jesus to say, I wanna know the truth, I need to know the truth because of the agendas that are in our culture, the lower and lower and lower respect that followers of Christ get, the lack of openness to us living our faith out in any part of culture, the indoctrination of our kids, And the best way to combat all of that is to learn and teach truth. You don't even have to entertain that which is false. I mean, if you know somebody that's struggling with self-perception, the church should be the place where they find conversation and patience. And even though they're struggling with self-perception, I would rather people run to the church to find out where their identity really is than run to the world. So it's up to us to be the body of Christ and let people know whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, we can walk with you through that and help you. Listen, a lot of people struggle, a lot of Christian leaders, a lot of pastors struggle with speaking bold words of truth in the face of lies. And so what they end up doing is becoming more like the world in the way they present the gospel. We will never win the world to Christ by becoming more like it. We will only win the world to Christ by being different from it. A disciple of Christ is marked by their difference from culture, not their likeness to it. So know the truth, study the truth, share the truth. And sharing the truth requires true love, which is patience. I mean, love doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices with truth, but You may know people in your life that are stuck in false teaching and following and going down the wide road. And that requires patience because love is patient. And even words of truth have to be spoken with patience. Here's just three quick examples of seeing the fruit. When you hear something new, you just ask these three questions. Does this teaching honor the authority of scripture? Does this teaching lead me to abandon myself and honor god with my life and does it lead me to live and act more like jesus a lot's at stake learning the truth knowing the truth sharing the truth in love and knowing the questions to ask can help us lead a whole generation that's at risk of being deceived only six percent of people who say they follow jesus have a biblical worldview. Knowing the truth will get that number up.